Noah, let's face it. If you go anywhere these days, you need a mask. That's right, Clint. If you go to the bank or the gym or even the store, you're going to be required to wear one for the foreseeable future. If you're going to be rocking a mask, why not do it in style while celebrating the Chiefs Super Bowl victory in the process? Absolutely. Visit our friends at Noble Apparel to check out all their selections of masks that come in all styles from Frozen to Spider-Man and, of course, our defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Noble Apparel is KC born and bred, and their merchandise is by Chiefs fans for Chiefs fans. Visit NobleApparelKC.com or check them out on Facebook today at Noble Apparel 816. This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Gentlemen, you are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, I'm the man. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You know, when they talk about, they talk about the elite. The elite. You ever see the elite? You're the elite. You are the elite. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast, brought to you by Vermeil Wines and powered by GASN Sports, the pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk, featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groniger and Clint Schweitzer. Welcome once again to the Elite Sports Podcast, where yes, indeed, the rumors are true, one of us has opted out for the 2020 season. It is my co-host, Noah Groniger. He is denouncing his possessions and moving to Nepal if the rumors are accurate. Noah, is this true? And I guess we'll see you back in 2021, my friend. It is. I am denouncing all worldly possessions, liquidating assets, getting some funds together so I can move to Nepal. And I guess, uh, yeah, I am opting out for this season. Maybe if I can get uh, all this equipment over to Nepal, we can continue the podcast. But I, as of right now, am, am opting out and that's it for me. Well, when you look at the situation right now and the players that are opting out, this is something that we expected. You've got two Chiefs currently, uh, Damian Williams running back. Some thought he should have been Super Bowl MVP here in Super Bowl 54. And then um, offensive guard Laurent DuVernay-Tardif have opted out. And you've got a myriad of Patriots doing it. There's been some players kind of uh, sprinkled around here, surprised. And what is your thoughts on kind of the opt-outs right now? Because I think that this whole thing, when you look at everything that's gone on and I look at it, I think that it does come down to the idea of we need to move on with our lives. We need to try to get going here, but we shouldn't force anyone to do anything they don't want to do. So I think the NFL is handling this the right way. We've even seen a couple in college football now say that, uh, you know, they're, they're opting out of the season. I think that this is the right way to do it. And I don't think you could look at anybody and have anything negative to say about them and their choices. I think this is great. And, you know, there's, if there's going to be a season and maybe without some players, but uh, there's always somebody, it's next man up, as our guy Sean Salisbury would say, is it not? It absolutely is. You look at uh, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung from uh, the Patriots, Marcus Cannon, the right tackle. Uh, and then you have Marquise Goodwin, who just got traded from the 49ers to the Eagles this uh, offseason, and he's opted out. So uh, they're losing their speedy receiver. And, and yeah, the Chiefs are uh, losing Damian Williams here, but I mean, they drafted Clyde Edwards-Solaire in the first round, so he looked to be the 
probably the main guy anyway. I'm sure they would have shared time, but uh, now he'll be the main guy along with uh, Darwin Thompson, who I thought could have been cut, but it looks like he could stay on this team. Uh, DeAndre Washington, Patrick Mahomes' former teammate at Texas Tech, and then uh, Darrell Williams, of course. So uh, the Chiefs have their running back core, their roster. These guys have seen action, uh, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is just uh, – the Chiefs had their pick of the litter of running backs in the draft, and they chose Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They ran it by Patrick Mahomes. He said, yeah, that's the guy I want. And uh, Brett Veach went and made it happen. So the Chiefs should be good, even with these moves, uh, especially with Laurent Duvernay-Tardif moving on. Uh, they signed Kalechi Osimile, uh, former two-time pro bowler and an all-pro. Uh, he did have an injury last year with the Jets, but he looks to come in and uh, solidify that uh, in- interior offensive line for the Chiefs. Well, breaking news from Sports Illustrated this week. Um, it appears the SEC is going to plan for a 10-game football schedule, conference only, which uh, joins the Pac-12, which has already decided to do that. It looks like the ACC is also on board with this. As college football, which you have said this entire time, has the biggest obstacle to climb when it comes to trying to get this season to go off. As of right now, every decision is in flux anyway in this world, but when you look at this, do you see this as a good sign? 10-game conference schedule, can we make it happen, or is this just kind of delaying the inevitable and here in uh, you know early to mid-August, we just have to pull the plug? Um, I think it's delaying the inevitable a little bit. Uh, I think they're going to start the season. The ACC came out. Uh, you mentioned it there with the SEC doing a 10-game a conference schedule. Uh, the ACC is having one non-conference game and uh, their 10 games uh, for the conference schedule. And I think they're going to start the season – Kids are going to come down with COVID and they're going to panic and they're going to worry, especially with these kids having to be on campus and stuff like that, uh, where the NFL players can just go home. I think the NFL is definitely going to complete a season, whatever that means, if it's nine games, uh, six games, three games, whatever it is for a regular season, they're going to get the playoffs in. Someone is going to hoist the Lombardi trophy and uh, how much of an asterisk is by that at the end of the year, we'll see. Uh, but the NCAA, I think they're going to, some of these conferences are going to start the season, but when kids come down with COVID, I think they're going to pull the plug and the season will not be completed. Well, we're going to get into all that and much more with our guest this week, which is the legendary Bill Curry, former head coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. He coached at Kentucky. He was the SEC Coach of the Year, won an SEC championship for the Alabama Crimson Tide in 1989, which wasn't enough, Noah, because they lost to Pat Dye and the Auburn Tigers three times during his run, which put an end to his career there in Tuscaloosa. We're going to get into all that and much more. Not only that, but as a player, Bill learned the game from such legendary masters as Bobby Dodd, Vince Lombardi and Don Shula. He snapped the ball to a who's who's list of quarterbacks, including Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas. He played in Super Bowl one as a starting center for the Green Bay Packers. He won Super Bowl five with the Baltimore Colts. I'll tell you what, Bill Curry is a guy whose voice has was heard for 10 years on ESPN as an analyst. He is tremendous. Uh, his voice is just like sweet Southern comfort. It is sweet tea going down the gullet, man. Bill Curry, true legend in the coaching world. And I tell you what, he has, has got a lot of stuff to say about the things that are going on, kind of what we can expect. Should football happen? All these things we're going to be talking to Bill Curry about. And man, he has sort of been there and done that, as they say. This is a great guest for us, and I'm so excited to talk to Bill today. Yeah, he's done it all. Whether you're more of a college fan, NFL fan, he's got something for everybody, as you mentioned there, uh, just playing with the likes of Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas, uh, under coaches, John Shula, Vince Lombardi, uh, as the center of the Packers going up against the great Ray Nitschke. Uh, and uh, I've seen uh, him tell a story about going up against Nitschke and hitting him and 
Nitschke just kind of broke his face mask and his nose, and he had to make a decision whether he wanted to get up and go again or maybe uh, choose a new line of work, and he made the decision right then and there. He's going to get up and go after Nitschke again and again and again and uh, earn their respect on the field, and that's what he did. So we've got a lot here to get into. We do. He coached 10 years in the SEC. Uh, he coached for um, three years at Alabama, like we mentioned, and then for seven years at Kentucky, where he brought the Wildcats to their first bowl game in over 10 years back in the, the mid-90s. So there's a lot of meat on the bone here with Bill Curry, who you've seen him on uh, documentaries like Saturdays in the South. Uh, you remember him uh, being an analyst on ESPN for 10 years from, I think, 97 to 07. And he was always, his, his voice, his presentation, the way he describes the game has always painted such a magical picture for me of what this game all about and he always tells the story about uh he was on his way to call a game um the week after 9-11 and he wasn't sure if the games were going to be played but ESPN told him to go ahead and make the trip and he was driving and he stopped over at this convenience store and uh this guy behind the counter recognized him and said coach are we gonna are we gonna play this week and he said I don't know but you might be the first person to find out if my bosses call me and uh, they indeed did call him while he was in the convenience store and said, go home, we're not playing college football this Saturday. So he has a very special link to the game. I mean, he played for Bobby Dodd at Georgia Tech. He's a Georgia guy, uh, went on to coach, of course, at, at Kentucky and um, Alabama, certainly, and then wound up his coaching career helping build that Georgia State program. So uh, this is just a really good one for us. We've really been going down this road here of coaches of late. Of course, uh, we've Talk to former Georgia coach Jim Donnan. That podcast is going to be coming up here in the next couple weeks, guys. Uh, we've talked to Jackie Sherrill. Uh, this has been a really cool time. Of course, Dick Vermeil a few weeks back. I mean, going down the road with these coaches provides even a different perspective because we always pride ourselves on talking to former players and going back to their time and reliving their careers. But when you're talking to coaches, guys that have been to the trenches and coached some of these greats and, and really left their stamp on the game, it is truly an honor and a privilege, and it'll be no different than with Bill Curry. You guys are really going to enjoy this one. Well, you guys already know that I'm pretty much listening to podcasts or music constantly, which means I have to have a good pair of earbuds. So whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to. Not what your roommate, neighbor, significant other, or children are listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. The newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best one yet. With six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. They have been an absolute game-changer for me, especially in the gym. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, J.R. Smith, Mike Tyson, and Rich the Kid are obsessed with Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order now at buyraycon.com musicmania. That's buyraycon.com musicmania for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Again, that's buyraycon.com musicmania. 
Thank you so much for joining us here on the Elite Sports Podcast today. Coach, it is just so great to, to see you here virtually. I wish we were talking about things like training camp and college football practice getting ready to start, but we're in some certainly a state of uncertainty here, are we not? Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, it's like every day uh, it goes up exponentially. I mean, that's a 50-cent word, but it's the truth. It sure is, but I tell you what, um, it, it's such a pleasure to have you because so many of uh, your words and the way that uh, you're, you're coaching and the things that you've done in your career have heavily influenced so many people like myself uh, to get into broadcasting. I, you're, you're, you were such a welcome voice for ESPN for so long. Um, but I want to kind of go back to your coaching right. career because we, uh, we lost Pat Dye just a couple of months ago, the great Pat Dye. You had a couple battles with Auburn uh, at your time at Alabama. I, I, I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. You, you might have lost some of those, but Coach was amazing. Talk about Pat, what he was like, what it was like coaching against him, and kind of what, how he was as a person. Well, we lost all of them. Um, yeah. That, that, we didn't, that, if you go to Alabama, you have to beat Auburn and vice versa. And uh, in the three years we were there, we didn't accomplish that. We played close, but uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And uh, that was that was one of the great disappointments um, uh, of my uh, attempt to do the job for those folks. And uh, one of the main reasons, of course, was that uh, Coach Dye's teams were uh, huge and fast and um, were well disciplined. The thing that um, that made him and and his approach to football especially difficult is that uh, he could change offenses as he did while we were there. He changed from a triple option to throwing the football, I mean, em the emphasis on throwing the football, and they were equally effective. And that's really hard to do. We see people try to do that today, and it's tough. It takes a year or two to change personnel and all that sort of thing. Well, it didn't take them long at all. So they were really formidable, physically tough outfits, and um, they just managed to beat us each time. Well, when I think back to your your time at Alabama, you won the SEC Coach of the Year Award in 1989. But I, I always go back to a quote from Nick Saban, which is, success is not a continuum, it's momentary. The rigors of competing in the SEC makes losing devastating while winning is merely a relief. Would you would you agree with Coach Saban with that sentiment? <laughs> I hadn't seen that, but um, it feels that way. It, it really does. Um, I thought I had pretty much been to the um, mountaintop when it came to competition when I uh, played on, on great teams in the NFL for 10 years. I played on pretty good teams at Georgia Tech under another great coach, Bobby Dodd. I played on great teams with Vince Lombardi and Don Shula at Green Bay and Baltimore. And I thought I understood those feelings that Nick talked about. But you don't understand that uh, unless you uh, play or coach football in the state of Alabama because it is a, an, a, a, it's a kind of an obsession there that really doesn't exist anywhere else. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. Um, it's really good if you're uh, if you're a member of the football team. You've got that kind of backing, and it's not so good if you're uh, losing to Auburn. So um, I understand what Nick says, and I think it's probably true. 
Well, of course, you also go on to coach at Kentucky, and uh, you guys make a bowl game for the first time in a decade while at Kentucky. Just kind of talk about the the challenges of winning in Lexington um, and kind of Mark Stoops, what he's done for the Kentucky Wildcats. Do you feel like he's kind of, you know, not to limit what a program can do or be, that he's sort of kind of hit the ceiling of what can happen and what you can be at Kentucky? Well, I don't think he's hit the ceiling. I think he's going to continue to do well, uh, and I think they'll just get better. I've always thought you could win in football at Kentucky. Um, obviously, I, I, I thought that I wouldn't have gone there. Um, I think it's important, and it's a funny thing to say, but it's important to have the support of the basketball coach. And I don't know. I haven't ever talked to Mark about whether Calipari is um, – actively backed him or not but rick patino was fantastic to us and i mean there were there were great players that we got to visit um our football program only because they were going to get a chance to go to rupp arena and see our basketball team play and rick would bring them in the locker room everything that was legal to do that's what we did so um i felt like we were given every opportunity there and it's it's a good place and i think mark uh uh, if you look at last year's team, had he been able to keep any quarterback healthy, <laughs> he might they might have won a couple more. Games. But w when they lost all their quarterbacks, they put a wide receiver back there and kept right on finding ways to win. That kind of thing is the mark of really having uh, a a program that is clicking on all cylinders. And I I told Mark this. I think he's got a special gift, and I think. Um, uh, Kentucky's lucky to have him and vice versa. Trust me, I got to see that firsthand covering uh, Mizzou going down there, thinking Missouri should win this game, and then watching Lynn Bowen and the, as a receiver playing quarterback run all over Missouri, and it was a true testament to kind of what he's done. Um, Coach, I mean, you, you coach in the SEC for 10 years. Um, you've been a part of some, some great SEC features like Saturdays in the South, what what is it coaching in the sec uh, the, the the slogan is it just means more we kind of talked about uh, some of the comments nick saban's had about it just what what did it mean to you being uh, from georgia uh, from the south being able to coach 10 years in the sec and how how difficult is it it's just in, in day to day preparation and recruiting down there trying to stay a cut above well when we went to alabama um it was not a, a real popular choice, as everybody knows. And um, <laughs> we, had, we had a wonderful guy that was our minister over here in Atlanta. He called our house, and Carolyn answered. My wife, Carolyn, mm -hmm. answered the phone, and he said, Well, uh, my goodness, Carolyn, are you, are you and Bill okay? Uh, I've read some really rough things. Are you sure you're okay? And she said, Oh, oh, it's, it's uh, Bill Floyd was his name. She said, oh, it's fine. We're, we're fine, Bill. You got to understand that over here, football is like a religion. He said, oh, no, honey, it's a lot more important than that. And, and he was right. It's uh, 365 days a year. If you stop at the filling station to fill up, you're going to talk about one thing. If you go from Tuscaloosa to Dothan, Alabama to go to a ladies' cotillion club, you're going to talk about one thing. If you go to the... Uh, you go to a Red Elephant Club, obviously you're going to talk about one thing. Uh, it's just, I was walking across the parking lot one day, and it was uh, probably about this time of year, um, July, 
and in Tuscaloosa, July means 100 degrees. And um, I saw this beautiful older lady. And by older, I'm talking 80, 85 maybe. But she was dressed to the nines and um, had her faculties completely about her. She saw me. She shouted out my name and made a beeline, walked straight over to me. And I said, yes, ma'am, what can I do for you? And she, she took my arms in her hands and looked me in the eye with tears in her eyes. She, we had won nine games the year before. She said, do you think we can win this year? I said, yes, ma'am, I, I promise you we'll do better. Uh, it, it's just a constant, it's a constant um, theme in life, uh, the football program. And how it became that way, I'm, I'm not sure. I know Coach Bryant had a lot to do with it, but I think it might have been like that before Coach Bryant, you know, when Coach Bryant uh, played there maybe. I, I don't know, but that's how it is. And, and you don't ever have to wonder if, if the right things are being emphasized uh, until you try to get the guys to go to class. Sometimes that's a little bit of a challenge. Well, Coach, you played for three of the great coaches uh, at any level, and Bobby Dodd, of course, and Vince Lombardi, and Don Shula with the Baltimore Colts. Whenever you got into coaching, and how, how much did you take, kind of from from, from these coaches, and, and sort of formulating your own style? I mean, I think pe young people like me grow up, and you see, uh, you know, highlights of, of old Green Bay Packers teams, and you see, uh, I'm from Kansas City. You talk about my dad watching the first Super Bowl, the World Championship game, and you think about, oh, these players must have had a complete bond with Coach Lombardi, which you didn't really have at the time. But looking back to the three coaches you played for, how much did they influence you kind of in the end? They all influenced us enormously, but I think it was more of influence um, for our ethical and our um, moral approach to life. And I did have my differences with Coach Lombardi, but we resolved them on his deathbed, mm -hmm. which I really had no choice but to go and apologized to him about some things I had said because um, I was out of line, which was not uncommon for me, shooting <laughs> my mouth off. But um, what we learned from those, from those great men was what a team is. And we learned from those great men how a team is assembled and continued. And, um, and what comes from great teams having been together is more than a championship ring or a Super Bowl ring. It's a whole lot more. It's a lifetime of relationships because people who don't look like each other, who don't go to the same church together, who don't have the same color skin, who don't go to the, don't go to the same grocery stores, don't listen to the same music, those people become brothers in football because you don't have any choice. You either, you either join and become one of the team or you don't make it. And once you've done that, once you've bonded with a group of people like that, it never goes away. And it's almost like a miracle, especially in today's world uh, where people are somehow finding reasons to hate each other. I mean, absurd nonsensical reasons right from the top of our government it's it's really hard to believe what we're going through and it sounds stupid to say football has part of the answer 
but it does. It does. And it's not stupid. So all of that stuff is what the great teachers really do is to teach you a whole, mo- a whole lot more than football. Uh, you do win championships if you're playing for great coaches, but you, you'll win a lot more. Coach, I know you've told this story a lot, but I, you know, for kind of speaking on what you've, you've brought up here and kind of what the country's going through, if you wouldn't mind kind of for our listeners that maybe haven't heard it, just talking about um, your idea of the huddle and what it means to you and how you, when you joined the Packers, had never been in a huddle with, uh, you know, a man of color, with African-Americans, and kind of what you took away from that and how it kind of shaped you going forward. Well, I was the last draft choice. They had 20 rounds in those days, and I was 20th. Um, and I was joining a team that was already being called the greatest team of all time. And that was before they won three world titles in a row. Um, Lombardi had a lot of good attributes, and I didn't see him at the time. I was, I didn't like the fact that he shouted at us a lot. I didn't like the fact that he was a Yankee. He was Catholic and he was Italian and all those Southern prejudices that we had at that time. Some of them we still have. Um, but nonetheless, um, I thought the biggest problem I'd have is the fact that I'd never been in a huddle with an African-American person. And Lombardi's greatest attribute, in my opinion, uh, and not only helped him win more championships, five world titles in seven years, that'll never be done again, ever, by anybody. Um, Not only helped him win more championships, but it helped him to make a powerful statement to the American public about prejudice. We had more African-American players than anybody in the league. There were teams in the league that had none and bragged about it or had, or had a quota, and they might have one or two African-American players, which is unthinkable today. But in those days, that's what was going on. Well, nobody could beat us. And uh, it wasn't just because we had a lot of African-American guys. It was who we had, both black and white. And because what that meant was, once you got in that training camp, you were going to get a chance to play. It didn't matter what you looked like or where you came from. And so once you earned a spot, you were respected. But I thought that the African-American guys would look at me, last draft choice, hear my southern accent, hurt me, and send me home. And I didn't blame them. That's not what they did. Led by Willie Davis, our great defensive captain, those guys embraced me, talked to me, spent time with me, sat me down when I said stupid racist things, and I did. I didn't mean to, but I did. Uh, They would not slap me in the mouth or walk away from me or blindside me on the football field. They would explain to me, listen, Bill, you don't know how that sounds. Don't do that. Don't say that. Say this, say this, this, and this. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And it created, for me, a bond that, that wouldn't have happened any other way. Then I go, I go to the Baltimore Colts, and there's John Mackey, the greatest tight end of all time from Syracuse University. And he and his wife, Sylvia, sort of adopted Carolyn and me. I don't know why. But once again, our lives were changed. And that's what happens in team sport when you when – you, have folks that aren't prejudiced who give you a chance. What they did was give me a chance, and I, I felt like 
when I began to coach that I wanted to give as many young people a chance to have the same kind of experience as I could. And um, I hope, I know, I mean, I hear from my guys all the time. I know they had a similar experience and I'm, I'm grateful. And it wasn't because of anything I did. It's because we brought the right people onto the teams who cared about each other. Oh, well, that's so well said. And I mean, you, you, as a center, you snapped the ball to, to two of the greats, to Bart Starr. You spoke at his funeral, to Johnny Unitas. Here in Kansas City, for the first time in 50 years, there's a Super Bowl champion here. I'll tell you, around these parts, the, the year started off pretty great, Bill. Believe it or not, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Things are looking good. There's a parade. Uh, and then, then we get off track a little bit. But what have you seen from Patrick Mahomes uh, you know, as a quarterback? Uh, the, some of the things he's able to do, some of the, the reads he makes, the decision-making, the, the athleticism, it's really kind of unlike anything we've, we've maybe ever seen, isn't it? I guarantee you it's unlike anything you've ever seen. I was trying to downplay it just a little, you know. <laughs> well, you can't. I mean, the kid is lightning in a bottle. I mean, he's, he's magic. I, I mean, I'm 77 years old. I snapped the ball to Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas. There were a bunch of other great quarterbacks I snapped the ball to in various games on, on, on different teams that are, that are in the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I'm, I sit here watching – my wife doesn't. She she's watched over seven hundred football games. We have a deal now. She never has to watch another game in her life if she doesn't want to. Okay. Ooh. She asked me, "When's that Mahomes guy going to play again?" I want to watch. She wants to watch. Everybody wants to watch when this kid plays. Why? Is it because they're going to probably win? They got a better chance? No. It's because he is magic. I mean, you can go to Broadway and see a great, great star. And I hadn't been enough to think of anybody in particular. I guess the guy that wrote Hamilton, that would qualify. But, I mean, <laughs> that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a once-in-a-lifetime talent. And he generates this enthusiasm with the team. He's unselfish. He gets the guys together over on the sideline. He does the things that, that you just really wouldn't expect from a – uh, a real young quarterback, and then he does the thing which in America you have to do, which is to win the big one. You have to win it all. You'll never be regarded as um, real special unless you win it all. And that's not fair, and it's probably not the way it ought to be, but it certainly is in this country. Well, uh, he just he just uh, took up ownership in the Kansas City Royals here. He just bought a house about 10 minutes west of me here. I'm going to tell you there's a little bit, a few more zeros in front of his mortgage than there is mine, Bill. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're sure glad to have him here, and it's been a true great experience. i got to ask you about this because uh, when you're, while you were at Kentucky, uh, South Carolina and Arkansas joined the SEC. Uh, in 2012, Missouri and Texas A&M come on board. How, how do you feel about uh, the SEC's ability to expand, especially – uh, eight years ago, Missouri and A&M, do they, are, are, do they make, you know, are, are they a good counter? Are they good for the SEC? Has this been a good, has this worked out well kind of for both sides, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world is for old coaches to sit out in the, wherever we sit around and pontificate about what ought to happen and what ought not to happen. I, as if uh, we had some special knowledge. I kind of thought, and again, I'm a traditionalist and I'm a uh, old stick in the mud in some ways. In other ways, I'm very progressive. Um, 
and I'm thinking now more about players' rights and about about diversity and that sort of thing. But when it comes to traditional rivalries and geographic things like um, Missouri versus Kansas or Missouri versus Oklahoma or Georgia Tech versus Georgia, and, and Georgia Tech used to be in the SEC. Mm-hmm. When I played, we were in the SEC. I just love the old geographic units, and that's what seemed right to me. And when those started breaking down, those I, I felt a lot of discomfort. It, it seemed strange to see um, TCU in some league that stretches all the way to the East Coast. I mean, that's, that doesn't seem logical. Uh, and then and then you start to look at the finances of travel and the distances that these kids have to travel. And ostensibly, they're supposed to be back in, in chemistry class the next morning at 8 o'clock. Well, sure. I mean, we all know where that goes. So I, I like the old alignments. And, uh, I mean, I think it's been good for the league, probably economically, and for, because the TV revenue seems to mean so much. But I really liked the old geographic alignments because I think they generated more you know, sort of genuine, um, how shall we say, for the fa- I think the fans had more fun pulling for those local Clemson versus South Carolina. And now they're in different leagues, but you go across the country to play somebody in your league. Seems strange. Well, let me tell you this, as a, as a Missourian, someone that now covers the Missouri Tigers, uh, as much as we miss the rivalry with Kansas, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take a trip down to Auburn, Alabama, or Tuscaloosa over those, uh, those trips down to Stillwater or Ames, Iowa any day. So I think we're, we're, uh, we're definitely doing good on that regard. I, I, I enjoy the road trips, let's put it that way, even though they're a little longer. <laughs> they're, they're a lot more fun. I didn't say it wasn't yeah. better for you. <laughs> exactly. It's great for you. And, I mean, it's so fascinating to actually be there in those places you heard about when you were a kid or yeah. watching on television. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and, then this, and from that standpoint, from the standpoint of the sheer magic of it, it's great for the players, the student athletes. But I'm just saying the mechanics and the economics of it, it just seems strange to an old person. And uh, I'm, I'm probably uh, completely off base with that. No, not at all. I completely understand. It is a little bit like, being in high school and you're not you, but your friend gets to to take the pretty girl to prom. It's kind of cool. There's there's some uh, caveat, some gravitas that goes with it. Um, uh, I tell you what, coach. Before we let you go, I've got to ask you as as former president of uh, of the NFLPA, seeing kind of where things are right now. Is we're we're a month away from kind of the season needing to start. We're so much uncertainty. How difficult? Is it right now what the NFLPA, the NFL, and what um, you know college college presidents are having to go through right now just to try to get a season underway here? I mean, this just seems very concerning, and uh, I just hope for the best. I'm just one of those people that I, I, a year without football would would be a year that I wouldn't want to remember. Well, I feel the same way you do about football. I and I think it's and again, it's for people who are my friends and my family. It's well known that. I ascribe way too much importance to football, but I think it is important symbolically to our country. I think it's very important, but it is not, listen to me now, it is not important enough to lose one life of a young person. So can we put our guys on the field 
there's a certain danger just to running out there without a pandemic. Uh, and we all knew that when we did it, so fine. So we did it for a long time, and we take our lumps and we don't complain. But to go out there not knowing what's going to happen, would you send your child out there? Uh, and and yeah, you can play basketball, you can play tennis, you can play golf. Um, our granddaughter's going to play her on her softball team. I think that's fine. But when we start lining up and you and I are going to be smashing our face into each other and we read all this information about how the uh, molecules emanate from our mouth and it's, they got the, the virus attached to them. And they, I, I just can't see how we're going to do it. I pray we can and still keep our players safe. But if we can't keep the players safe, we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to suck it up and wait. That's so poignant, so well said. I tell you, on a personal note, your your words and your career, your coaching career has been so so uplifting and positive for so many people. And I, you know, I just want you to know that there's there's people out there that 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 really took to a lot of things you said and have just watched you paint such a beautiful picture of this this silly little game that we love so much called football. And uh, you've done it for a long time, and I hope you'll continue to do it. And I hope everybody will go to your website, billcurry.net, to check out everything that you've got going on because you really are an inspiration to a lot of people, and we just can't thank you enough, Coach. Well, thank you for having me on, and you've, you've more than appropriately thanked me. So you're very gracious, and I'm, I'm appreciated. Well, absolutely. Stay safe and stay healthy, and uh, here's hoping for better times in the future, you Coach. Too. You too. Thank you. That was powerful stuff from Bill Curry who said – Playing football would be symptomatic to our nation, and it would be a great sign of things moving forward, but there's also the idea that we can't risk a life here, and I definitely understand that. Despite what you see in the the numbers and what the risks are, you don't want to see anything bad come from this, and I think that's what their administrators are trying to work out right now. It's really hard. I mean, Bill Curry was the president of the NFLPA for a, a few years while he was a player, and just trying to coordinate all this, just like the NFLPA is trying to do now with the NFL and all the protocols and stuff like that, there's a lot out there, but we're just trying to do – I think everybody's just trying to do what's best, and I think that's what people have to remember during this. This is unprecedented. We're just trying to do what we think is best, but for a lot of these schools – Playing football is what keeps these schools alive, and that's where there's a line here. Are we talking about uh, seeing the end of athletic departments or we, uh, as we know it, as the, co- the college football model as we know it crumbling? That's a, it's a price to pay for no matter what decision is made here. So we're just trying to get to the bottom of it. Excellent stuff from Bill Curry. And um, always hearing those stories from my dad about Super Bowl One. He was in it. He played the, played in the game, snapping the ball to Bart Starr. And uh, he's just a truly an inspirational person. Love his positive attitude and his spirit for the game. It's uh, really unmatched. It really is. And you mentioned it there, just being able to go back and talk to these great coaches. And, and a couple more, we talked to Jim McNally, a great offensive line coach for over 40 years in the NFL, and Wade Phillips, longtime defensive coordinator, head coach in the NFL. But uh, just to go to this, how he was part of, uh, he was the NFLPA president for a few years during his career. Just what is going on with this league right now? Or is it going to be able to happen? I know after the Met, or uh, the Marlins, excuse me, uh, had a bunch of players and, and coaches uh, and managers come down with COVID. They talked about, well, the NFL, they had talked about a bubble. Should they, is there any chance they could go back and do that? And it's, 
the NFL came out and said, no, we talked about that. It's just too complicated, too many teams, too much travel, and too many players. The NBA can do it because they don't have as many players on a roster. In the NFL, there's just too much back and forth, and, and it'd be like over four months that these players would be uh, isolated away from their families and everything in a bubble uh, if that could even work. So it's definitely interesting. We want everyone to stay safe, and uh, but we need sports back. We need that as a society, like Bill said. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull this off. Guys, there's going to be news breaking all the time. Be sure to head over to our website, GASNsports.com. That's where you get all the late breaking news. It's where all of our podcasts are archived, our interviews. Everything that we do is over there at our website, GASNsports.com. Hope that you will subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Leave us a star review and uh, let us know what you think of the show. It's what keeps us going, guys. We have a lot of interviews that are already in the can that we're going to be unveiling over the next few weeks. And it's a good thing because, Noah, we're going to be out on the road next week traveling to Knoxville, Tennessee um, for a very special trip for us uh, as part of our film, Saturday Supremacy, which we're in post-production on. It is a film about SEC football and the culture, and we are still getting some interviews for that. We're heading to Knoxville. Why don't you tell our great audience what we're going to be up to heading to Knoxville? We have some really good interviews planned, and it's going to be tremendous, some of which we may just release here on the podcast before these ever make it to the film, if, uh, if our fans are lucky, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And we've got some great interviews that we're going to get there for the film. Former Tennessee quarterback, Sterl the Pearl Hinton, uh, former Tennessee uh, secondary coach and player back in the day, Terry Fair. Uh, he played in the NFL uh, with the Lions and the Rams. And uh, actor Silk Kozart, who is born and raised in Knoxville. He still lives there today. Uh, you know him from the film White Men Can't Jump. And, uh, of course, the big one, the big kahuna that we're going to be going there for is the mayor of Knox County, Glenn Jacobs. You may know him better as Kane from WWE. The Big Red Machine. You mean uh, one half of the Brothers of Destruction with The Undertaker? The Undertaker's brother, Kane? Indeed, it is happening. And we lived in... Um, Knox County for about two months while we were filming our uh, the first part of the documentary back in 2018. And so I, I remember being so proud when we heard that um, Glenn Jacobs had won uh, as it became the mayor there of Knox County. And we sort of took pride in that. Like, hey, we lived there for a couple months. He's our mayor too, you know? And I think it's going to be tremendous meeting with him and just talk to, talking to him about kind of what Tennessee football and SEC football mean kind of on the political side um, as to the town of, of Knoxville, which is one of the best towns, you know, college towns in America. We had the privilege of living there, like I said, for a couple months. This is going to be a great trip going down there. And that's what we've been doing this summer. We've been on the road. We've been so fortunate to get some really good interviews. We went down to Arkansas for Peyton Hillis. We went down to Louisiana for Tim Brando, and now we're going to Tennessee and we're going to clean it up here. So... Stay tuned next week. We're going to still have a show for you despite traveling on the road. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have two former Mississippi State Bulldogs and two former NFL stars as well in uh, former wide receiver Eric Moulds and cornerback Walt Harris. Both played for the Mississippi State Bulldogs and both will be joining us next week to talk about their careers in Starkville and in the NFL respectively. Noah, maybe I could talk you into opting out. Let's go get this trip done and we'll see where we're at and maybe we can get you back on board, man. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do it right as we always do here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Bring a spectacular piece of Napa Valley right to your doorstep today with Vermeil Wines. Former legendary Chiefs and NFL coach Dick Vermeil started Vermeil Wines back in 1999, but his undying devotion to bringing a taste of Napa Valley to the masses 
actually goes back generations. Well, you know, it started as a hobby of making 150 to 200 cases of, of Cabernet, Jean-Louis Vermeil Cabernet, my dad's name and my great-grandfather's name. Vermeil wines are grown in Coach Vermeil's hometown of Calistoga, California, at the top of Napa Valley, where the vineyards are over 100 years old. Browse all the signature wine options or become an official member today at VermeilWines.com. Choose from three, six, or 12 bottles and enjoy a 15% savings with shipments each February, May, and September. You'll also get access to exclusive offerings and events such as virtual wine tastings with Coach Vermeil himself, as well as member-only wines. Try the Signature Club where you get one case per year, a 20% savings, four bottles of each Cabernet. These are the highest rated wines at $1 shipping all year. To join, visit VermeilWines.com now or call 707-254-9881. Use promo code ELITE for $1 shipping on three plus bottles of wine. This will also apply to your first wine club order if you mention ELITE at sign up.